Welcome to Everything Leftover, our podcast on HBO's The Leftovers. My name is Justin Blizzard. And I'm Keith Krepko. And we are going to talk about episode five of season two of The Leftovers called No Room at the Inn. Uh, before we get into the episode, I want to do a quick check-in with you on the opening, opening credits song. Has your Have your feelings changed? Because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's grown on me. It's grown on me. It has. Yeah. Because it's grown more and more ridiculous to me. Exactly. All right. Yeah. And apparently it's a famous song. I song think it's people Stockholm. have loved for decades. Yeah, I think it's Stockholm Syndrome. I mean... To me, it it just makes me wonder again, kind of going back to everything is interesting. I've kind of mused about my feelings about music, which I, I love music. But there, there's music that <clears throat> I find inaccessible and a lot of it can come down to the vocals. And sometimes <clears throat> it's, it's musicians that are singing songs that I'm very intrigued in, in terms of the lyrics, right? Like... I would take the lyrics of that song over any pop song out right now. Yet her vocals are a complete joke Mm -hmm. and I don't get it. It's kind of, it's in the same territory of Joanna Newsom where I get it. She's brilliant. She's gets music on a level that I don't, but I find it so inaccessible to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because her voice is so ridiculous. And with this one, there's kind of a down homey quality to it that kind of makes it feel like that kind of good old country wisdom coming out, amusing on death and the beyond that I find intriguing. But fundamentally, it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um but I've tried to, I think I've, I've tried to open my heart to it a little bit, but your Grinch heart is just no getting smaller and smaller. Closed. Right. So Closed for business. Right. But anyway, I mean, I, I have to say this last one, I forced myself to watch all the way through while my wife was just like, it was like she was possessed. I mean, she was just like not able to sit still. She's like, please mute it. And I'm like, <laughs> nope, because I got to work through my feelings on this song. And uh-huh. I think, I think I've, I think I've got it as much as I'm going to get it. Is that a, is that a good or a bad thing? Like, Does any, I guess I know the answer to this, but does any sort of piece of art, quote unquote, music, movie, television show, deserve that much effort? I mean, isn't the general rule that if, you know, the goal of art is to make you feel something, whether you hate it or you love it, the worst thing is that you look or engage a piece of art and you walk away and go, I don't know. It's for dinner. This at least makes you go. Wah, yeah, but I really doubt that? the performer of that song would be like. I'd rather have you hate my song than not care about it at all. I don't know. I I feel like we we kind of feel that way. Like we we don't go out there asking for like 
please only five star review. We're just like, <laughs> leave a review and who cares, right? If you That's say true. like, I hate you, you know, we're not going to uh, stop. We're just going right. to be like, think it's hopefully it's cleverly worded. Sure. So you can get a little kick out of it. But okay. no. All right. Enough with the song. Right. Well, look, the last thing I'll say, she, she knows. She knows. I don't think that she's sitting there saying, objectively, look out Ella Fitzgerald. Here I come. Well, I mean, from what I've read, that that is a very well-regarded song. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's from a type of music style. But, you know, I, I'm sure, I don't know. I'd like to read an interview with her where she talks about her music. That's what I'll say. As long as I don't have to listen to it. You like Bob Dylan. <laughs> so. All right. So we got a mad episode. What did you think of the uh, opening? So the opening is the cold open to the show is just your living one day in Matt's life on repeat. Uh, and then by the end, you learn it's because he is trying to recapture their first night in Miracle, where he claims that his wife woke up and spoke to him. And then they did it. <laughs> well, we, we were already kind of suspect of that. Well, we'll get to that. But what did you think of the opening itself? Just th- the repetitious yeah, yeah. nature of it. I mean, I thought it was good because it's it's underscoring kind of the themes and the ideas that we raised in episode one, um, where the town seems to be focused on repeating events to on this idea that they are the reason that they were not departed instead of possibly the location, the actual geography of where they at. Right, why they were not departed. Or that there are certain people that are responsible for it. Because you don't see everybody repeating the same thing. You just see certain people maybe doing similar things, right? So the idea isn't that everybody takes the same amount of steps per day that they did or whatever, but that there are certain things in town that need to happen a certain way to secure their ongoing, quote-unquote, safety. Which John... Kind of pulls the veil back. He's like, it's all baloney. Right. You know, there's no safety here. Um, but, but there are some people who are buying into that idea. So <clears throat> I thought it was good on that side of it. I thought it was true to his character. I think Matt would record her every night sure. and, and try and see what, uh, see if she came back. So, I thought it all worked well. What'd you think? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it did a, a really good job of portraying the dullness of it, sort of like the futility of it. Right. And how that starts to build up over the course mm-hmm. of the opening. I, I really liked it a lot. Uh, so getting into it, you find out he's trying to recapture that first day when Mary wakes up. They have a doctor's appointment that they go out of Miracle for. And it's revealed that she is pregnant, basically. Right. And um, 
So, well, let's just get into it. What is your what is your take on the on the pregnancy? Um, I mean, interesting, interesting complication. Um, is it interesting or is it just a complication? Well, so I think one thing I want to say about the opening is it kind of speaks to what I thought the theme of this episode was to an extent. I'm going to do a terrible job of summarizing St. Augustine. He had a view where he was talking about virtues and vices, and he was talking about kind of a a pagan understanding of virtue. So St. Augustine was... um, uh, wrote the confessions, which is kind of viewed as one of the first kind of personal mm-hmm. uh, confession stories ever written. Right. Um, and he was a monk and he came to faith after a extensive life of sin and doing whatever he wanted. Um, and he was talking about his view of virtues apart from faith. And what he said was, and again, I'm summarizing, I'm doing a terrible job, and I do believe it was St. Augustine. But what he said in summary was uh, a virtue outside of faith is just an excellent vice. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. So what I saw this episode as being about are the good intentions that somebody can approach a problem with or a relationship with, but kind of try and get a good result for bad reasons, you know? Mm -hmm. So in that opening scene, you have this growing frustration with Matt. What does he want? He wants his wife back. Right. But for what reason? When does he want it? Now. Now. (laughs) Exactly. And, and and how does he want it? He wants it in his way, right? Well, and why? I mean, I think the, I heard, I want to say I heard, uh, I was listening to another podcast where they were trying to speculate on why. And I think that's somewhat of an interesting sort of angle to look at it. Like, it, I'm sure there's a degree of just frustration of, you know, I'm sure. You know how much is does he want it for his wife? You know something. Like yeah, that. well, I I think that was um, Phil uh, death to DVR. Sure. Okay. Yeah, and and you know we we listened to, to to that, and I think he brings it up there, and and I agree with him that um, why why does he want this, and and on what terms does he want this, right? And what you have throughout the whole episode is you have you know, these people living outside of Miracle who seem to, in some ways, want to earn the right to enter Miracle. You know, you have this kind of punishment-based system where people seem seem to want to inflict punishment or receive punishment as a way of purification, maybe, uh, which we, we can get, uh, we can get onto... Uh, you know, or, or we'll talk more about later. Um, <clears throat> but specifically with the with the pregnancy, it brings up all all of that right in one kind of neat package. That I think breaks it beyond just a complication, mm-hmm. where you have something beautiful that's coming out of a potentially kind of sordid, you know, relationship, 
and something that, depending on your perspective, changes drastically. On the one hand, I was like, where was the rape tag at the beginning of this episode, right? Because we're referencing it again. Yeah, he, but you're not explicitly seeing. No, yeah, yeah, but but I'm saying he's he's ba- he's either raped his wife, or he's well, had this most beautiful of beautiful interactions right. with her. Well, so that's the issue. So last episode or last week, I was skeptical of that encounter actually happening the way Matt described it. Mm-hmm. Not in any malicious way, not in a way where Matt is purposefully trying to deceive people for some ulterior motive, mm-hmm. just in a way that like, I feel like he could have hallucinated it and whatever, maybe because he was exhausted, uh, as we see happens later on in this mm-hmm. episode. And in it just sort of snowballed in his mind. Now, the problem with that interpretation is in order for that interpretation to hold up with this new evidence, Matt has to be a rapist, right? And I don't think that they would make this character a rapist. Like, that is a very, like, that is a, that is a, a, a level of disgust that is given to a character in, in Kill Bill, right? Who's then, like... Mm-hmm. Is murdered in mm-hmm. a celebratory fashion, mm-hmm. right? It's not like a conflicting thing. It's like, wow, this guy is like the ultimate evil. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see that as Matt's character. Mm-hmm. So now I'm kind of forced to believe that it, that it did happen in the way Matt's describing it, which is fine if they were ever going to give us an An answer answer. as to what actually happened. And I'm nearly 100% convinced that that will never happen. Mm -hmm. And it will always be left as this ambiguous. And as this, it's, you know, it's, it says more about you than it does about the story. Well, no, I, I don't think that that's the intent and and I think that this speaks to a fundamental different approach that we have to this episode. So if you, with, with my approach to this episode, what I see that as is taking an interaction and depending on how you look at it, you have somebody who through their intention is trying to, to have a great kind of moment with their wife, right? Whether she was conscious or not his intention was good i believe that i'm with you he's not a rapist right i don't imagine that if we went back and saw security footage of that happening that he would morph into some kind of sick pervert Mm -hmm. i think that you would see a man acting out as if his wife was responding when really she she wasn't Mm -hmm. so what you have is perversion of the intention you know Mm -hmm. so you have matt who you know you don't have to question his character, but you can question the way that he went about it. And that to me is fundamentally what I pulled from this episode. All these people are trying through good intentions to get a good result out of something. And it's just coming off as a perverted attempt at doing it. You know, like if you took a step back, you would say, what are you doing? You know, Mm. in the moment though, you 
you can kind of see the logic. You can see Matt's desperation for the connection with his wife. Um, and so I found that to be interesting in the way that I, that I approached it. And, and I think that they can resolve it by his wife waking up or not. So the, 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 the potential to but does, resolve that doesn't, that doesn't resolve it because it, it will only be resolved by here is the, here's the flashback. Here is even a brief flashback of that night where she woke up. What if she's aware? What if she's um, locked in syndrome? She's aware of everything happening outside, but she can't vocalize. That or makes anything. it even worse. No, but I mean, she can come back and she can be like, yes, I came back for that one night. The, I, sure, I guess. Right. That the, just seems like a total cornball. Hey, like that just doesn't. I'm just saying that I can see a scenario where it is resolved, whether it's cornball or not, or could they do it better than I could? But I think if you approach it, think about it as an as an excellent vice. As you know, no matter how Matt intends this to happen, the highest thing he can achieve is a muddled, messy interaction. You know. This is what I'm going... We're halfway through the season. Five episodes in. We've got five episodes left. This is what I'm predicting. By the end of this season, we will know... Nothing. (laughs) I'm not going to say nothing Uh more than what we know now. I will say we won't know enough of all of the questions that have been raised in the first five episodes to be satisfied. To feel like we actually learned anything they may answer a they may give us a dollop here and a dollop there but it's it's going to be just like the 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 first season where the last few episodes ramp up into this enormous thing to where now your attention is drawn away from all of this other ridiculousness from the first half of the season that's just as like we spent the first six episodes thinking like well what is this about why are they constantly referencing Australia? Why is every single random ethnic person they run into have psychic abilities? You know, <laughs> why is uh why why is Matt breaking an oar over some guy's back and yelling Brian? All of that will be left to the wayside in some sort of spectacular ramping up of action towards the end of the season, just like the first season. And that what this episode made me realize is not that I don't like the leftovers. It's that I don't like Even though I thought I did ambiguity. I don't like Damon Lindelof. Oh, I don't like what he does. I okay. don't like the way he tells stories. I mean, you you are totally entitled to that to that opinion, and you've watched enough of Damon Lindelof, I think, to have an opinion on it. Um, so I I respect that. I will say that I believe that this episode was perhaps the most overtly spiritual one, absolutely that that I I think I've seen in the whole run, where what I saw them doing, and again, this is my perception, but what I saw them doing was dealing with specific religious ideas judeo-christian ideas in terms of grace Mm -hmm. and redemption and how we can put ourselves in a position to receive that grace where 
<clears throat> what you have two things I want to get off my chest. And these are the kind of observations that I think no one really watches the show to make mm-hmm. and people get annoyed when I think we do make them. Okay. <laughs> Number one, but, but, but I wanted Sam so we can talk about the real issues sure. or else it's just going to be nagging at my brain. Number one, what is up with the security of miracle? No, it's terrible. I had that <clears throat> written down. It's at, it's, it's, it's not that it's terrible. It, it completely makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense. What is a wristband for if not <laughs> right. to identify somebody? Right. You should not be able to just put some random person's wristband on and get That's in. It's covered in blood. Right. That has a barcode scan on it. So you can scan it and then be like, oh, hey, you're not this guy we've got a picture of. He put the woman's band on his son. Right. You can't, you can't get further away than that kind of switch. But apparently, right, he made it into Miracle. He wrecked his car in Miracle in a bunch of goats. Right. So. No, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The, 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 the park security is hilarious. If you, yeah. if you stop to think for two seconds, you have to think that it's an inside joke with the writers. That's the only way that you can explain the way that these park rangers police there and the way that people casually leave. To go into the midst of all these other people who apparently want to kill them. Right. But there's like, well, we'll see you later. I'm going I'm going into town, you know. The the other issue that I that I had to go along with uh with the lack security is the people outside of Miracle. Am I misremembering like in episode one, weren't they like kind of hippies who were just outside of Miracle playing instruments and dancing around? Am I just getting that confused with like the promo where it showed a bunch of people waiting to get into Miracle and they were like just kind of having a good time while they waited? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like, uh, I mean, I got that feeling too, but. And now there's some kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Light. What happens when you get a bunch of hippies together, Keith? Right, but so so I mean, my, my my second nagging little issue was the way that this camp established itself in the last five episodes, which has only been a few days, right? I think. Well, in like, yeah, in like and time. also if this camp if this camp is such a nuisance and there are constantly people running in out. and out, why don't they just kick them out? Get them out of there. Yeah. Well, yeah, get them out. But then also this this community that's risen up has apparently established these rules to live by where everyone is just like the meanest kind of most grotesque version that you could be of a people that live by a code. And what's the code? Right. They, they, they live by a punish a penal code where you have the stock, you know, people in stocks, but you know, he seems to have chosen to be there to to some extent, or the mm. lady's like, if you want him out, then you take his place, you know? <laughs> um, and so I just, that to me, that kind of community outside of Miracle seems to just be like whatever they want it to be. Like, they're just out there having fun playing instruments. Sure. Nope, they're actually all, you know, kind of degenerates. Scum of the earth. Scum of the earth, but but also twist. Twi- they're all demented in the same way. They 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 share a a a love of punishment, and they're all jerks. 
Well, I want to know why everyone wants to get into miracles so bad. Like the departure is over. Well, some people run have run in before, and all they did was run for the water. I mean, apparently, like the park rangers have dealt with them before. Remember when they all ran when the uh, earthquake, and they oh, were right. finding like, ah, oh, just let them go. Yeah, and it's not. It's not like then the they water. went from there to like hide in the town. Yeah, it almost seems like they that they like where they are. That they see their place as people who need to exist outside of miracle. And that this is their lot in life. Yeah. And so what now we're getting through the nitpicks, we're getting into what what I got from this episode in terms of the spiritual value is you have a perception that the people in Miracle are spared for a reason, that they right. are people defined by grace. The people outside of Miracle define themselves not by grace, but by people who need access to what the people in miracle have but don't have access to it and they seem to be frustrated in their position but if you look back you do have historical precedent of people who feel like they are in need of saving but rather than do the things they need to do to like repent or whatever they just end up complaining Mm -hmm. in their place i hate that i'm here but they don't do anything about it. And so I feel like what what that is, is a fun... So in the Christian idea, you have this idea of grace as a gift, right? That's given freely. Not something that you earn. That's the, that's the central tenet of Christianity. And so what you have in a, in a Christian idea is you'd have the people who are experiencing grace as being people who fundamentally understand that they don't deserve it. And they would just be like, come on in, like, come on in to miracle, the place of grace. Mm -hmm. And it would be open for all to come in. But in this broken system, all you, all you have is perception. So again, you deal with this Augustinian idea of excellent vices. The, The highest that these people can aspire to, is some broken, twisted version of the ideal. So miracle is a sham, but the perception lingers. And then you have the people in miracle or outside of miracle. Is there a name for that settlement? I don't think so. So in the unnamed settlement and what they're doing and what, what happens when that guy asks him to hit him? A crowd gathers, uh-huh. right? And what does the lady do? The, the the lady responds vulgarly to get him to perform the punishment. Mm-hmm. And to her, it's important that he's a man of God, not for her own benefit, but to prove his bona, f- bona fides, right? Mm-hmm. That he truly is a man of God. Once she determines that he is, she's like, punish him. Say Brian, which is probably linked to the sin that he's trying to you know, suffer for Mm -hmm. in order to gain favor in the eyes of whatever benevolent force protected the people of of miracle. Mm -hmm. And you have a man in the stocks who I'm guessing, I don't know his backstory chose to be up there for a certain amount of time to suffer (laughs) for his, (laughs) just not letting him down crimes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, and and I think what the idea is is that somebody else needs to come up and and take his place. 
Because again, what is that's the idea, that's the picture of Christ, right? That Christ got up and for no reason took on our sins, mm-hmm. which is what Matt does at the end. Matt So so why does so why does Matt do that? Is is Matt getting up there to repent, which is written all over the stocks? Mm-hmm. Is he getting up there because uh, in some sort of Christ-like uh, offering, is he getting up there, you know, not with the ego that that implies, is he getting up there because he so clearly identifies with Job that he's thinking, this is my next test, right? Mm-hmm. Is it an amalgamation of all those things? Is it something different? Why do you think Matt goes up there? So in, in keeping with my unifying theory, which could be wrong, I think that he is misunderstanding, again, the function of that grace. <clears throat> so, again, the idea is that Jesus, in his crucifixion, paid the price for everybody. So what Matt is trying to do is to take on the the sins of this community mm-hmm. i think and in that way absolve himself as well but the whole idea is that you don't do that <laughs> that has been done right that that he is a poor man's christ basically sure is why is why i took it so i mean will he be rewarded for this i don't think so but the one thing that throws a wrench into into my theory is what we were talking about last time and what you said about prophets. So the only way that I think what Matt is doing could lead to some good, to some actual benefit for him, is if he's not functioning as a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of the people or trying to earn his salvation for all the wrong that he did because he is built up to that point as being a man with bad motivations. Right. Would you agree with that? Matt? Yes. No. What are his bad motivations? <clears throat> his bad motivations are selfishness th- that his faith is being tested when he says, you know, you're, you're going to need to look at me. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that he is, he's doing all of this with ulterior motives that got cut through by his wife not not responding to him for so long, by it not happening again. And then when you see his montage, what is his countenance in church? Doesn't it go down day by day? You see him losing connection mm-hmm. with that experience. So what, what it's saying is Matt's faith is dependent on him getting what he wants. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's showing a man who is losing patience. At who, though? With the universe. But in Matt's belief, it's not the universe. It's someone specific. With God, right? Uh, I, I don't... I don't make that connection necessarily. I... I, I I mean, I, it makes sense, but I just didn't, I just don't read it that way. I see it as he's just getting frustrated. But yeah, but you can't say that Matt, a, a man of God is getting frustrated period. 
and not focusing that on whoever. Look, if we use the, if we use the the idea of Job, right? What happens when Job, who whose family's murdered, who is <laughs> who is covered in boils, right? Whose livestock is stolen. What happens when Job questions God, right? God is like, who are you to question me? Right? Sure. So, I mean. You're the expert here. I'm well, well, no, yeah, unfamiliar. But, yeah, but I mean, he compares himself to Job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, who was Job getting frustrated at? Job was getting frustrated at God. So, who's okay. Matt getting frustrated at? Yeah. Not his wife. I would say yes. He's getting frustrated with his wife. I think he's getting uh, you know, frustrated at his wife as a way to get to his true frustration, which is a God who is not helping but this I, situation. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they're connected. Sure. But I don't think. I don't think they're mutually. I, I'm okay. agreeing with you. Yeah. Okay. But, but how can you not? You I mean, no, I do. I see it. Okay. But I don't. I, I just don't see it as strongly as you do, I guess. Well, well, here's, here's my, my uh, submission B, your honor, okay. uh, to prove my point. When he pulled over to help the stranded uh, father in the car. Right. Every time that you pull over to help somebody, is it always a good thing? Can you pull over and help somebody and have it not actually be a benevolent act? Or is it always a good, a good act? I, I, well, I mean, I guess it depends on what your definition of good is. I mean, it depends on what you, the motivations are. Exactly. If you're talking about it purely from Matt's motivational standpoint... Do I think it's a good, he thought he was doing a good thing? No, well, he thought he was doing a good thing, right? Sure. But I think that you could make the argument that his motivation was in the wrong place. What that, was his motivation? Well, I think what he was doing was signifying that now they found out that, she, that his wife is pregnant, that he is in the good grace of God. And based on that he good grace of like God, he's in a good mood to me. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but based on on the fact that he's on the good grace of God, he's like, now I'm going to do everything. I'm going to help everybody because I'm in the good grace of God. Because everything good is now going to start happening for me. Yeah, his expectation was wrong. That that I think what the episode is is trying to show you is that good acts can be done for wrong motivations, and it can taint the act that you do. So if I drive by somebody because I'm frustrated because things aren't going my way, right? If he was heading, heading to the doctor with his wife, would he have pulled over and helped that man? I don't think so because right. it draws the connection that only after when he's coming back is he like looking for the good deeds that can be done. Mm -hmm. Because now he's been affirmed that he's in the good grace of God. Well, that's a, that's a wrong reason to pull over and help people, right? That you think... That now I'm in the good grace of God. I can do what I want. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to get the benefit of every good yeah, thing that I, see, that I'm, I'm just, doing. I'm not willing to take it that far. He just seemed like he's in a good mood to me. Like he just got some good news. And so he's happy. And so he was pulling over to help this guy out because he's in a good mood. I don't think it's necessarily because he thinks he's doing God's work. 
but but in the context of this episode, it ends with him doing the very same thing in the stocks. Yeah. He's going and he's taking on all of this. Pub, that's they, also they, they after punishment. everything that happened in the episode. It, yeah, exactly. But it's, but it's all working to the same purpose. To, to underline the same point, the same idea. Mm-hmm. Could he be going to the stocks for the wrong reason? It, are we to assume that just by entering those stocks that now something good is going to happen in his life? I have no idea why he's going to the stocks. And again, pretty sure we're not going to find out why he does it. Yes, we are. Look, you you right now are in a very dark place where you don't think any answers are going to be provided. Maybe I'm in a dark place because I watched a character, a character on the show that I actually like and enjoy watching, get his hand stomped into a million pieces. Yeah, look, you don't have to worry about that because did it ever come back into play for the rest of the episode? I don't think he grimaced. They they bandaged it up and he seemed pretty okay to me, right? Yeah. So let's talk about John's confrontation with Matt in the visitor center. What did you think of the scene in general? How did you... I'm going to be a broken record. I mean... To me, it again is John is in his own way trying to help. Uh-huh. But his motivation is to affirm his beliefs on sure. the town and the status Which to quo. to me are starting to seem a little bit arbitrary. He seems like a baby. Ridic- exactly. At this he point. He seems like a little baby boy. Who's stomping his feet and closing his eyes and sticking his fingers in his ears. And the, the other thing is, is now there's an answer that we are going to get. That, that's a mystery that feels like there's an answer to what Why happened is he to so John. Upset? Sure. You know what I want it to be? The fact that his wife is still deaf. I mean, he mentions <laughs> that. And I thought exactly. that was actually a good point that he kind of brought up. But I just didn't care See, for I didn't think that was a good a point. That, that is so kind of like the talk about arbitrary and whatever it's like so what you want your good thing to happen to you you know like i'm this way because something that i didn't expect good didn't happen to my family right and i don't think it's going to be that specifically i think it's going to be a series of those things i don't think it's going to be this one monumental thing that all of a sudden, here's John A, thing happens, now we've got John B, right? I think it's just going to be a series of things, which again... I think it's going to be one thing. All right. I disagree. You know why I disagree? Because I don't think we're going to get answers like that. Yes, because this are. show is not about answers like yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's about some, it's not about answers to the great mysteries, but it's about This answering. is not about answers, No, period. No, no. This show is about ambiguity. This show is about... Fog no. and nebulous. This show is about nothing. No, that's that's totally that's totally wrong. Here's something I want to here. Here's what I, here's what I would have liked to see from John, and from I think this season as a whole. This is something I was thinking about. I would have rather had an entire season of 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 the Murphy family. Let's say episode one is still episode one. And from that point, you, 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 you're following John throughout the season. And by the end of the season, 
through all of these things that have happened throughout the season, you're left with this John who just refuses to acknowledge any sort of supernatural happening. Not only does he refuse to acknowledge it, it is it makes him physically upset, right? <laughs> Instead of starting with that character and then through maybe flashbacks throughout the last five episodes that we only have to left in this season seeing, Oh, that's why he's this way. Because instead you get this character who is somewhat intriguing, but is in acting in a way. And this is true of all of the characters in this show who are acting in a way that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And then throughout the course of the season, it's like, here's the flashback. Oh, okay. So that's why, you know, he's doing this because of that one flashback they just showed. I would rather as stupid as it makes me sound and as simple of a viewer as it makes me sound, I would rather have a story that starts at a and goes to B rather than a story that starts at B and on the way to C it's constantly jumping back to a and saying, and saying, this explains this, this explains, you you know what I'm saying? That is, it, it just, it just, it kills my interest because I don't know why anybody's doing anything. At this point, we're halfway through the season. I would have rather had, so so we've had, a, episode one was a Murphy episode. Episode two was a Garvey episode. Episode three was a Mapleton episode. Episode four was Murphy's and Garvey's. Episode five were the Jamesons. I would have rather had all of those five episodes mashed together throughout the course of the season, leaving us in the exact same spot that we're at now, but instead of having an entire episode where I'm only learning about the Murphys, one step forward I, back, I'm I'm learning about step. a little bit about the Murphys, a little bit about the Garveys, a little bit about Mableton, a little bit about the Jamesons. Episode two, same thing. You're 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 moving along instead of it feels like we've we reached the end of the timeline in episode one, and at the end of episode five, we're still in the same point in the timeline. You know what I'm saying? it's like it's like the Quentin Tarantino of television shows right I can watch um, you know Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta exclusively for 20 minutes and not ever see them again in Pulp Fiction or see them referenced because at the end of two hours the movie is over and I've gotten the full story (laughs) so far I've gotten five hours of this show and I don't even feel like I know a quarter of the story. I mean, it's frustrating to me. Yeah, yeah. You're you're voicing a frustration that I'm happy to 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 listen to, but that's not the. I understand what you're saying. That's not the show that we're getting exactly. But but I think I think you're underestimating the arc of the show and where we're going to end, which I think is going to be in a place of answers for characters, but definitely not for like overall mystery, which again, I don't care. Like, I don't care what happened to the girls. I don't care what happened. But to- how can you not care what happened to the girls? Like that is such <laughs> lazy story. To- that is such a lazy catalyst for your show. If you don't explain what happens. to well, the girls. No, no, I'm not saying that they won't explain it. I'm saying I don't care that, that that's not where my interest is. I think they will resolve it again. Because we have a flashback to them running naked through woods. Like, that does not just happen because you that's know, how girls You play. know what we had in episode, in season one with Lori? We had multiple flashbacks 
to a schoolyard fight when some where someone was getting the life beat out of them. Never explained. <laughs> I have no idea if that was Lori doing the beating up, if that was Lori getting beaten up, if that was Lori watching it. I have no idea what that flashback right. was a reference right. to. And it was in the first season multiple times. Kiss season one goodbye because season one is is a is a oops. Season one is a we don't want this to be our show. Season two is this is what we want to be more about. I think it's more focused. I think the mysteries are more specific. I agree with you about the timeline. I think that there's a better way of telling the story than saying like, hey, guys, look what we're doing. We're going back again, right? right? So, I mean, just tell a co, a coherent but also linear story. It's fine. It's okay to be linear, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and Damon Lindelof, I think, likes to obfuscate. I can't speak tonight. But uh, he likes to hide his intention with all these other distractions. You know? But I think, I think this episode felt to me like somebody working out their feelings about Christian theology pretty overtly kind of hijacked. I felt like the show was hijacked this episode kind of to say, I want to work out my feelings on this whole, you know, grace kind of, uh, substitutionary atonement idea of, you know, one person taking on all of our sins when people don't have to earn it. Right. People can't just, some people can't just accept that reality. They feel like, no, I, I need to, like, you need to hit me with that. You need to scream out the person's name that I've, of the sin they have in my mind. You need to help get it out of, you need to purge it out of me. Mm-hmm. So that I think is, is fundamentally what, what this is about. I'm interested, and I think we will get an answer on kind of what Matt's motivation is of doing the stocks and whether it turns out to be a net gain or just again, just another man trying futilely to create something where there's nothing to be created, right? Either this is a cold universe where there's no benevolent force looking over Matt, um, waiting for him to do the right things in order to enact this kind of like, I, now that you have divined my, my plan for you, which is to like get your hand broken and and be humiliated and then go sit in stocks. You've done it, Matt. You've cracked my code. I will now give you, you know, your token. Like you get one miracle. What are you going to use it on? Right. It's like a genie. Mm-hmm. It's like he's earning a genie's blessing. But I think it's interesting to think of him as a prophet who is in some ways acting out <clears throat> a prophecy for these people or for this town, right? Mm -hmm. Because you would agree they don't exist in a cold universe. There's some, there's some supernatural force at work. No, I don't agree with that. In this universe. Then, then explain not just Kevin's walking, his visions, the, the things that line up, that have lined up in season one again, that aren't explained, but the earthquake when he throws himself in the water you believe that that is just a complete could be, it could be coincidence coincidence i the the i have no way of knowing either way but you can agnostically say that there is proof as much proof that it, they are in a cold universe there's enough proof to say that there's something that could be going on sure 
in this universe. Right. That, and that's, I was, that's what I was saying last episode. Uh, but I don't feel that they're... I mean, look, like I said, they're treating it exactly like well, as much as possible the world that we live in, where you just don't know, where your belief is reliant on faith, right? You just There's no scientific proof for any sort of belief. You just have to believe. That's what the show is doing. And that's frustrating. Like, that's frustrating in the real world, and it's frustrating <laughs> in your television show. Well, then, I mean, you're kind of making the point that they're doing what they set out to do if they sure. what they wanted to do. No, absolutely. And what I'm saying is, as for me, the viewer, speaking for myself and not for anybody else, that is frustrating for me, and I don't enjoy watching it. Um, I think that I had more... I would rather... Like, I know that that is the world I live in. I don't need to watch 10 hours of a television show to know that. I would rather have Damon Lindelof's insight into that. I don't need him to deliver so, that to me on television. I live it every single day. Instead of leftovers, you just want a straight sermon from Damon Lindelof. <laughs> no, about- no, I want something that is done creatively to, to provide some insight. Sermons can be creative. Maybe you just want to... I don't want a sermon. From Damon Lindelof. It'll be out of order. It won't go in exactly. linear fashion. Right. And then it'll just end abruptly. And it, <laughs> yes. won't, it won't make any right. final And then point. I'll come in next week and he'll be compl- doing a sermon from th- six months down the road. And I have so, no idea what he's talking about. Now on our final series that we've been spending the last 10 years on. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and again, I just wanted to, before we... Uh, and is there anything else major you want to talk about? What do you think of Regina Spector? I've never heard Regina Spector in my life, and I'm hoping to never have to hear her again. Not my, uh, as Tom Sharpling would say, thumbs down, man. And it's not my thing. She's, she's way down. Not for me. Um, I just wanted to reiterate that there was yet another randomly psychic person in this episode in the visitor center. Just. She's going to die. Yeah. She's, she's telling you that the boy is going to die if you don't get her back. And something. just a random person who is psychic. Like what's the deal with that guy? Was it Matt's head? Are we sure? Who knows? You know, who's never going to know. Us, the viewer, because the show's never going to tell us. And uh, you, t- you touched on it briefly. I just want to talk about it definitively. What is the deal with Brett Butler and Reggie and the oar and him shouting Brian? Yeah. What so- is that? So again, I've seen no explanation for it. What's the only thing I've ever seen for that, that I, of what I looked up is no idea what that is. All right. I'm going to, I, I don't know. I'm a little punch drunk from today and this week has been a long week for me. I'm going to be very succinct here, but I want to, hopefully I can, I can summarize one, one final time. So there, there is this idea, I think we all, we all feel it to some extent, where you do something wrong and you feel like there needs to be a proper punishment for what I've done. That If somebody just comes up to us and says, hey, 
you know, you ran over my dog with your car. Forget it. It's okay. We'd be like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know? And and you see that played out every day. Like, how many stories on Facebook, especially, do you see shared? Where it's like, I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Imagine you if that. you were, and, you, and your and your heart was open <laughs> to the stories that people share every day on the world. It's like, look we at this court. Went over that my heart is open to nobody. Right. You know, look at this courtroom where this mother forgives the man who you know killed her son or whatever. Right. Mm. And there and there's a fundamental kind of like what you know response that. That is inherent in sharing that where we're supposed to look back and be like, that's crazy or amazing or whatever. So, again, I my theory is that this is a community of people who are not interested in breaking into miracle to live in miracle, but they want to find access through the supernatural way of of feeling part of what the people of miracle um are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a construct. It's not reality. The people living in miracle are screwed up, you know? And the people living outside of miracle are very screwed up because they, I think, fundamentally feel like they belong where they are. Cause you see a guy who potentially could get in and is not interested. Or you have them running in to get the holy water, mm-hmm. but then they're not doing anything beyond that. Um and the guards aren't asking them to move, you know? So I think what you have are people who are looking for for that redemption, for that grace, for what they've done in their life. But the only way that they know how to do it is to punish it out of each other or out of themselves. But they don't feel like, you know, that's why she wants a holy man to do it because she can't punish him because she's just as kind of dirty and sinful. And if you remember her look when he was actually getting when he got hit she looked like she was in some sort of rapture right that she was kind of like hopeful that she was awaiting something right Mm -hmm. like she was vulgar and getting him to do it but as soon as he did it right there's a moment where it cuts to her and she's like observing it like i think hoping for that thing to happen Mm -hmm. and apparently I i don't think it does um, and then, and then you see it again where Matt walks up and takes the place of the guy in the stocks where, what punishment is he up there for? You know, I don't even think he knows really, but he's, he's suffering for it and he's hoping through that suffering to get some kind of clarity or, or grace. Yeah. But that's not the way it works. So those people are, I think are just futile. And I think you're seeing them. They, they've all kind of slipped into some sort of depraved, twisted lifestyle mm-hmm. where like they won't even let Matt sit in a chair underneath their awning. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. All right. Sure. I can see you're thoroughly convinced. No, I am. I think that's a good explanation. It makes sense. Um, but my... Not to get into it even more, but my question is, what is the responsibility of the writers and filmmakers to convey that point through the show? Like, am I just stupid and not picking that up? No, because, because again, I, I felt like this episode was hijacked by somebody who 
has been wrestling with this theological idea and wanted to like work some stuff out, you know? Sure. So unless you have, uh, 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 you've experienced it, then I don't see how you would have. It's not like I've sinned and I need against, you know, I killed Brian and mm-hmm. I need that off my conscience or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I need you to punish me for it. That line wouldn't work or whatever. So I think either you, you see what they're doing from your own personal experience or yeah, you go, I don't know what that is. Mm. Yeah, I don't see how anyone would know unless you've like have some deeper connection to the Christian faith than just the passing. Mm-hmm. I ended up at vacation Bible school one Sunday. Sure. And to be honest, I'm probably not trying very hard with this show right now. Right. I wonder how many times you just fell asleep for a few seconds <laughs> during this episode. I have not fallen asleep during the show. Okay. All right. That you know of. I'm fairly certain. Well, you've been listening to Everything Leftover. Uh, my name is Justin Blizzard. Here, I was here with Keith Krepko. You can... Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's. And I'm at Things Come Right. Any information about the show you can find in our show notes. You can find my email from the show notes. Uh, Other than that, we're just going to keep on doing the same thing. Putting the show out every week. Right. You can tweet at me. I will absolve your sin with no physical punishment. Sure. Just, Just tweet me. Right. And it'll be, it'll be done. <laughs> All right. I look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Bye.